Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. Chapter 1 of the Book of Ruth, verse 17 verses. One of the most beautiful stories in all the scripture. If you haven't read the book of Ruth for a while, or if you never read it, you ought to go home and sit down and read it. It's a beautiful story. Of an event in the life of two people, primarily. They ended up in being three. And the prime character in the story, of course, is Ruth, who is a girl from Moab, Moabitess, who marries into the Hebrew faith and ends up becoming one of the people in our Lord's ancestry. And it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, that is, in the land of Israel. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech. And the name of his wife, Naoma. And the name of his two sons, Melon and Chilion. I hope none of you name your children that. Ephraimites of Bethlehem, Judah, and they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband died, and she was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab, and the name of the one was Ortha, and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelled there about ten years. And Melon and Chilion died also, both of them. And the woman was, and the woman rather, was left of her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people and given them bread. Wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her. They went on the way to return unto the land of Judah. Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, go, return to uh, each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. And the Lord grant you that ye may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. And then she kissed them, and they, left, uh, they lifted up their voices and wept. They said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. And the Emma said, Turn again, my daughters. Why will ye go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb that ye may that they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband also tonight, and should also bear sons, would ye carry? For them till they were grown, would ye stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, 
For it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. They lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. She said, Behold, thy sister-in-law is gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, nor to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. Whither thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. When thou diest, will I die. There will I be buried. Where, I beg your pardon, where thou diest, I will die. Where, uh, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. Some of the more beautiful verses, words, in all the scriptures contained within that 16th verse, very frequently used in wedding ceremonies where it had nothing to do with the wedding whatever, but it was a conversation between a mother-in-law and her daughter-in-law after both uh, Naomi's father, uh, I beg your pardon, Naomi's husband, the father of her two sons and her two sons, were dead. Just the three women were left alone. And she is going back to her homeland. And the two daughters-in-law go a short distance and she encourages them to return home, go back to their own people. But Ruth says, Entreat me not to leave thee, nor to return from following after thee. But where thou goest, I will go, and whither thou lodgest, I will lodge, and thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. There's a tremendous message in the church. I gave you last Sunday night, and again this morning, the list of the seven most asked questions that people ask their pastor. I'm not going to repeat the list this evening, but I want to speak on the third question in that list, the most frequent asked questions that people ask their pastor. The third one is, how can I best pass on my religion or my religious beliefs to my children? The third most asked question of pastors. And I think the answer is found in this particular passage of Scripture. I don't think any of you probably have had the experience, and neither have I, but we are no doubt aware that it happens, and I know of people to whom it has happened. It's when their children leave home and go off perhaps to college or to work, sometimes they come back having deserted their faith. They've come back uh, claiming that they have uh, accepted uh, the Unification Church that some young moon established. That is a cult forever was one. Some have gone to join the Hare Krishna community. The one we have is near Moundsville in the northern panhandle. There are, I think, two others in the United States, an Indian pagan religion, 
Some have gone from our churches to marry or to adopt the Jewish faith or perhaps the Catholic faith. Some Jews have abandoned their tradition and have joined some other religion or a denomination. Uh, in the religion, in the Jewish faith, a person who does that is considered dead by his family. They, they abandon him completely. They do not have anything more to do with it. Why all this takes place becomes a real question. How is it that we have our kids in our homes for, let's say, 18 years, when they leave home, they abandon apparently everything that we ever taught them. I say apparently. They abandon our church, our faith. They find themselves tied up in something else. A lot of devil worship that is going on is happening in the lives of people, of young people particularly, who were once in church and have abandoned their their bringing, their upbringing. The question is, what do I do? How do I handle this? How do I be sure that the faith that I have is imparted to and remains a vital part of the lives of my kids? And that they pass it on to theirs? And that becomes a real
your faith. There's something contained within that familiar verse there, verse 16, that we ought not overlook. And that is that Ruth has first of all accepted
It just has a way of coming out into the open, and we see, even from people who are normally quiet and don't speak much, that there is something deep down inside that is boiling up, and it is caught by somebody else and makes a tremendous impact. Whether it's with our children or whether it's with other people, we need to do it this way. I tell you, I think with children, we need to begin this approach. Most of us here this evening are too old to worry about this, but let me say it anyway. We need to begin this approach. Oh, we have one. We got one. Before, before, before I, I thank you. I'm glad you're here tonight. You need to begin now to instill in that unborn child your faith. I believe it will be caught. I honestly and sincerely believe that the music that a, a mother who is with child listens to is heard by that unborn child unconsciously but heard. I think rock music is absolutely detrimental and causes hypertension and all kinds of things in kids once they're born. They're born with this... Uh, wild, whatever it might be called in them, nervousness, uh, hyperactivity, because they have been bombarded for nine months with this hard rock stuff. But listen, do the same thing with the gospel, and you'll find a child coming into the world already born in the God's kingdom, ready to receive uh, year after year this continual growth. Now, I believe that. You can challenge that if you want. Uh, they're proved with plants. You play hard rock music in the presence of, of uh, house plants, and, and they're going to shrivel up and die. You play nice soft music, and they're going to live. You know that, don't you? Or I think the same thing is true of, of uh, an unborn child. So what am I saying? If you want a child of faith, be a parent of faith. Even before birth. Okay. Secondly, I think that we need to express our faith. Sometimes we are ashamed of the gospel to the point that it is embarrassing for us to say things about Christ and the Bible and the church and prayer and heaven and God. Those words don't get into our normal conversation. And as a consequence, it creates embarrassing situations. I have, of course, over the years been invited to many homes and had uh, dinner in, in lots of homes. And uh, one of the problems that uh, mom faces when uh, she invites me to that home, particularly if her husband doesn't go to church, is what are they going to do when it comes mealtime because they don't normally have prayer. And so she says to the kids, now, be quiet a minute. The preacher's going to pray for us. Bow your heads. They don't understand two words. They don't understand the word bow. And they don't understand the word prayer. And they're looking out of the side of their eyes at me and wondering, what's he going to do? She gets them to be quiet. 
And something is about to take place that they have never observed before. They don't know anything about grace at the meal. And the mother has a terrible time, an embarrassing situation, in trying to portray to the preacher that we do this all the time when the preacher knows you never do it because it's obvious the kids don't know what the words are. And so as I bow my head to prayer and I sometimes open one eye and look sideways, the kids are staring at me. What's he doing? It has not been expressed. So that's a common part of our language to talk about God and Christ and salvation and prayer. These words are foreign. And if we're going to have people that follow us in our religion, we're going to have to be sure they know the language we're talking by making it a part of our conversation day by day. And by making the Bible a Noah book and not just something that you stick pictures in and clippings. That becomes the object of times of the Bible in a home and the children know nothing more about it and then that's where mom stuck the birth certificates or something of that nature. It's a big book. But the Bible in the hall ought not only be prominent on the coffee table, it ought to be prominent in the hands of the children so that there is an awareness of reading the Bible and the stories of the Bible. And the children grow up knowing that mom and dad know what the Bible is and it's a part of their life. Well, thirdly, let me say that I think that we can pass on our religion, as I started out with in this conversation, by our behavior. It's not satisfactory to talk a good religion. It's important that we do it. If our faith and our concept of God is nothing more than some abstract thing that we talk about, it has no real application in our lives, that will be quickly picked up and understood by people around us, and they'll soon know that this stuff of religion really doesn't mean anything. This going to church is just something nice to do, but it has no practical application. And this is the problem that we portray to the world, that there's nothing particularly practical about faith. And the reason that is conceived that way is that we have inferred that too many times in our lives in that our actions do not match our words. All of us have problems, I suppose, in accomplishing that. And uh, it, although we will never succeed in being perfect in, in that category, there certainly ought to be a demonstration in our lives of doing that which we say we do. Does dad and mom simply talk a good religion or do they live a good is the question. Then, lastly, let me say that I think that our religion can be passed on 
properly when their choices are absolute. What do I mean by that? I do not adhere at all, nor do I think the scripture advocates in any way that there is a choice in the lives of our kids until they become of the age of accountability as to whether they're in church or not. That's my choice as dad, not the kid's choice as a kid. That's my decision, not my kid's. And I believe that is the teaching of the scripture. We are living in a society today that is very soft on this and are saying, I don't want to influence my kids because they will grow up hating church. I don't buy that. And I don't think most of you will buy that, particularly those of you who were brought up in the church. Why are you here tonight? I think the fact that I was made to go to church and there was never any question about it, I never even thought a second about it. I just automatically went. It was important. I think it is important in the life of all of our children and the people that we influence for them to understand without question, that we believe the church has a vital place in our lives. Vital place. And as long as you are under my roof, son or daughter, you will be there with my decision, not yours. And I don't think that's being too harsh at all. Elijah, as we talked about this morning, said to the people of Israel, why will you halt between two opinions? If Baal is God, then serve him, and if Jehovah is God, then serve him. And I think that's the decision that we need to make and demonstrate in our lives. And if we do it, we're going to see those who follow us, our children, our grandchildren, and on down the line, and, and the people that are about us, our friends and relatives, will recognize something about us that is positive in our faith. Ruth said to Naomi, I'll go wherever you go. And I think that was stated because Naomi had had such an influence on Ruth that there was no question in her mind, I'll go wherever you go. I'll lodge wherever you lodge. Whatever people or your people will be mine. Your God will be my God. How many people have claimed Jesus Christ as Savior, our God, as their God, because we have passed it on by the life of Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.com 
www.sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.